Welcome to all of you out there. It is the boys from Rotosaurus. We're back from our extended draft hangover, and we're bringing you the high-stakes heat. I am Jay Callisker. You can find me at the Dustmite on Twitter. Alongside me is my main event draft co-inhabitor of my office, Dave McDonald. Dave, how you doing? Good, Jake. How are you? Uh, all right. I'm not... Uh, not as articulate this evening, but no, we'll yeah, I know you it. kind of paused there trying to find uh, one of your typical uh, long vocabulary words that we were all waiting for. So yeah, I failed. How do you feel about your? Uh, how do you feel now that we're finally done with drafting? Um, extremely confused and nervous. Okay, because this, yeah, because the, the season been, can end at any point here. Yeah, I mean this this has been a complete disaster so far, pretty much. Oh boy. Uh, not a disaster by MLB standards because they're pretty much used to screwing everything up all the time. Oh, but, God. Uh, Dave, where can we find you on Twitter these days? Uh, that would be uh, at run DMCD. Add that D. Add that D. Today on the show, we are going to talk a decent amount about our main event drafts. They, they happened midweek last week, so yep. about a week, a little less than a week ago. We were pretty busy with uh, both preparing for them and then uh, yeah. kind of dealing with the fallout from them and you know everything going on trying to keep up with everything it was just a lot we kind of got overworked and then those drafts we had four of them crammed into a couple days and they take a long time yeah and And then then we have on top of that too yeah exactly so it was pretty messy um we are going to address our main event drafts then we will talk about uh the unfortunate covid outbreak in miami and the ramifications of that along with a bunch of other news that has gone on in the past 48 hours or so this is uh, Tuesday evening, by the way, that was delightful. Thank you for that. Uh, uh, this is Tuesday evening, uh, almost midnight, uh, the 28th of July. So if you're catching this a little bit late, you know, stuff has probably changed in the last yeah, you know, f- 15 minutes. Since most likely. This thing. Yeah. Uh, we do have a guest. This is our first guest and he's not really a guest to us, but he's a guest to everybody else. Uh, our longtime friend, high school compatriot and my college roommate, uh, Tony DiVincenzo. Tony DiVincenzo is Dave's main event partner. Yes, sir. And uh, I think Dave had some more glowing words to say about his main event partner. So he wants to introduce him a little bit better. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. So uh, Tony is one of my, not only one of my best friends, but uh, really, really helped me. Um, and I mean, you know, we were partners last year, so I, you know, he really helped um, bring out, he, he uh, edited my bad sides and helped bring out my good sides. So it, we worked really well together. Um, even when we disagree on things, we, we generally, when we come together on, on a pick, uh, it tends to work out. So um, he's a really good player in his own right himself. Uh, you know, he doesn't, even though he doesn't think he can do a 15 team league on his own, he definitely can. I know he can. Um, very good player. So uh yeah, Tony, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself uh, as well? You're allowed to talk now. Tony. Yeah, you can actually talk. Oh, great. I, I can take myself off mute. I, yeah, I was worried my purpose and the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> um, so thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, just in terms of, I guess, my fantasy history, I think I first started playing probably uh, end of grade school. Um, I was playing on sandbox.net, which was pretty sweet at the time, but obviously <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. and. Those leagues didn't really matter for much. It was just kind of... How old were you at the time when you it. started? Oh, God. I don't know how old I was. However old I was in eighth grade. You, you, can, you can do the math <laughs> right, for an average right. eighth grade. Like what year <laughs> 13, was it? 13 or so. So, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I, 
I've played for a while. Uh, you could probably sum up my fantasy history by saying that I just follow Dave everywhere. Uh, because uh, when Bad he idea, and, bro. Yeah, no, it's, it's, gotten it's you dangerous so far territory. Life this far, this far. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's the one who got me into budget baseball back when he was doing the, the magazine days. I never oh, yeah. did it when I was doing the, the magazines, but I got into it when it was on a web-based platform and kind of wrote that out for – I don't remember how many years that it ran before it finally shut down, but did pretty well in that. Got some top 25s, um, had some good results there, but they shut that game down. And at that point, it was kind of, kind of, Dave was moving over to, to NFBC anyway. He was, he was dipping his toes in the high stakes. And so at that point, it was time to follow Dave. And so we went to Chicago and he did his live draft there and I got to experience it. Hadn't really put any money of my own in at that point, but just to be able to see it and, and get the feel for it was was interesting. And so at that point, I started to, to enter in a NFBC leagues on my own, obviously not for high stakes. Um, Dave says that, that I'm afraid of doing a 15-team league. I think it's more that I have a very intense loss aversion. And I don't <laughs> like to lose. It, yeah. I, I don't like to lose yeah. money. Yeah. Except yeah. When Tony, I drink Tony a lot makes in Vegas. more money than me and Jake combined and then like doubled, <laughs> including his wife. So like. that, 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 that does, that does not change the mental barrier. So, it's like, so unless I'm pounding Long Island's at a Las Vegas table, I'm not going to, going to be putting my money down. Yeah. So. yeah. By the way, don't play blackjack with this idiot. This guy's guy an obnoxious <laughs> drunk blackjack. Oh player my god! Are. He'll throw down like hundred and fifty dollars on my hand and be like, "I don't give a fuck. I make stacks. I don't." <laughs> yeah, and then, then when it comes to to mains, I I don't even want to do a, a full main by myself yet. But I know I, I, that's why it's I, hilarious. I, I actually would have done it this year. So it's I mean it's been a, a process. It's been. Oh, so you're saying um, you want to leave me now? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I I <laughs> the the the, the thing very is to say that I would have done it yes, this year. I, I would have I would have totally ditched you, Dave. It's like no. Byron Buxton. This would have been the year if he hadn't. <laughs> No, I Tony on Buxton. God help us. Dude, Buxton's the truth. Anyway, so I no, I, I think I would have done it. It's it's just something where you have to to get your comfort level up. And I think that doing the the main with you last year helped a lot. I mean, I had done 15 team satellites and right. I had I had dipped my toe into that just to get experience. Everything before that was 12 team. And so you gotta Fifteen teams a different different game entirely, and so you got to get used to that. Get used to definitely is play, yeah. playing with the depth there, and so um, doing that a little bit, and then um, getting getting the main event experience is really good, and especially like being able to to talk to an experienced player who's done it for years and years helps a ton. So I think I think at this point mm -hmm. I'd be comfortable doing one on my own, but I don't think I would stop doing one with Dave just because I think that that we complement each other really well. Yeah. Um, I, I think that a lot of the strengths and weaknesses that we have get offset by each other and that just having a sounding board, um, even if it's just for one league, does help a ton with the process. So, Yeah, um, I mean, having but, someone who's like on your level that you can talk to about stuff is so helpful. And, you know, the four of us between me, you, Jake, and Marcus, you know, we have an, we've had an ongoing text string for years now where we – share all our news together and talk about what we're bidding and stuff like that. But having someone who's actually invested in the team with you is game changing. I mean, it's, you know, they're thinking about things the same way you are and it's so helpful. Like, I, I mean, I, so many times uh, Tony's helped me with uh, you know, the bidding process. If he's like, you know, do we really need this guy or, you know, should we maybe go a little lower on him and stuff like that? And it's, 
it's uh, I think it's taken my game to another level for sure. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, 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 I oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, bud. Go, go ahead. You're, you're I, the host. I, you can speak. If you got more to say, <laughs> I was going to kind of wrap it up. So you finish it up. No, I mean, I, I was just going to agree with that. I think that, I mean, I've seen my game get better and better, even just these last two years. Like last year, I think, between the four NFBC leagues that I had, um, including that top 10 and then the top 100 with Marcus and the online and then fan tracks, I think I um, did not have a single league that didn't win or place, which is the first time I've ever done that. And I think a lot of that is just because of the sounding board that we've been able to provide to each other and um, yeah. Just get that information circulated, whereas normally you'd kind of be on your own in an island. It kind of helps get in different perspectives. Yep. You know, if it were if it were possible for me to partner on a team with somebody, it would probably be with you. But it's pretty much impossible for me to give up any control in life. Yeah. Other <laughs> yeah, you than just, my you just got to domineer your teams. But uh, <laughs> I thought we were going to skate by that one. But no, um, no, no. <laughs> I, you are you are pretty much the ideal draft table partner i will say that because yeah. even though i i own my own teams we, whenever we draft live we always have somebody if not all four of us right you know at the draft table or behind you know sitting in the peanut gallery yelling things at the others looking at computers <laughs> and whatnot but having tony you know he he is one of the coolest cu- uh, cucumbers at the at the table well, when he's, he's not always, scarfing down food constantly. Oh, he's good at bringing me drinks, too. Hey, man, it's, it, that's what the event fee's for. He, he always thinks about advantage. what I need. There is never a second that Tony is not stuffing some sort of snack in his mouth at the main event table. When, it, when it's paid for, <laughs> don't worry about it. Son, <laughs> um, Greg, baby. But like, like Dave was saying, have, having, and like Tony said also, have, having a sounding board at the draft table when you're doing fab, you know, when you are making lineup decisions, it's invaluable. I, you know, even though I don't, I, you know, they don't put any money in with me, having my guys with me at the table, uh, having Tony next to me, having Dave next to me, Marcus next to me, whatever the draft is uh, like, it, it makes your thought process so much clearer when you can not have to think about everything. When you, when you don't have to organize the entire thing yourself, when they can run the numbers for you, when they can look at the positional ADP list and say, Hey, have you thought about this? Hey, this doesn't fit our plan you know, the way we thought it would be going in, but maybe this is a good risk to take here. That kind of stuff is so invaluable. So, you know, like, like we've kind of touched on, if, if you can link up with somebody, even if it's somebody, you know, that you're not really close with yet, link up with somebody on Twitter that shares your interests or uh, seems Someone like who drafts similar, who has the same like somebody, philosophy yes, as you, though. that seems similar to you. Right. You have to have the same philosophy because otherwise you guys are going to argue on way too much in a draft. I mean, yeah. even Tony and I, who have very, very similar philosophies and strategies, um, we'll occasionally differ on players, but we'll even we'll, – generally in a draft, we'll have one or two kind of sort of arguments, but, you know, just clashing a little bit on what we want to do. But that's not much. I mean, if you have someone who has a completely different philosophy from you, there's no way you're going to be able to get through a draft together without wanting to kill each other and or your team is not going to be cogent as it is because you're going to have two different styles clashing together. Yeah, you really do have to be compatible. It's something where if you're not at least in the same ballpark, like you might not like the same targets, but you have to have the same goals in terms of roster construction in mind. If you're not not in alignment there, it's going to be really tough to to get through it because – one person's going to win or the other person's going to win or neither is going to win. You're going to end up with a team. That's just a mess. All right. Um, if you follow Dave on Twitter these days, he, you know, he has a lot of things to say. A few, a few. I think Dave has something to say right now. Dave. 
Do you have a no, no filter for us today? I do have a no filter for us today, Jake. Would you like to hear it? Well, I think that's what I was getting at. Okay. Well, I don't want to, you know, I'm not a mind reader, so I was just making sure. You okay. are the producer of the I, show. I so. guess you could infer, but I suppose I should say it a little more plainly. <laughs> Please, right. Dave, give us your no filter segment for today. <laughs> All right. So uh, I kind of thought this would be a good lead in because uh, talking about drafting with Tony, you definitely want to draft with someone who, like Tony, has a similar philosophy to you. Uh, but one thing I've found is that people often search out analysts and others who confirm their own views on players and strategies. Uh, and my advice to you all is to go searching for someone with a different view on players and strategies to see if there's something that you can learn from them. This offseason, I talked to uh, with some vastly differing views from my own, from to Toby, a.k.a. Batflip Crazy, whose strategy revolved around pocket aces and JT Railmuto. Uh, because he felt like aces and getting that one catcher who would likely play every day uh, would give him a huge advantage. Uh, to the Siege, who was on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, where he was completely ignoring starting pitchers for the first several rounds because he felt that the right stats were too volatile to rely on. Um, I definitely understood Toby's approach as, in the past, I've tried to take advantage when there's a catcher who's way above the rest of the field and skills and playing time, uh, but it's just rarely worked out. I, I remember I took uh, Joe Maurer back in the day after he had a monster year, and boy, was he bad that year. <laughs> um, but still, you know, Real Muto, I, I thought in the third was too early for me personally to take him, but in the fourth, uh, Tony and I had him as a possibility. It wasn't um, like we had to have him, but it was we recognized his value, and so, you know, I, I very much think that that's a way that you can go about the draft and, and, and win if you can base your draft around that. Um, but regarding the pocket aces, if I felt strongly enough about the two aces that I was getting, I could, I could see him playing that strategy. Like, if I could ensure that I could get a two, like, DeGrom and Bieber, for example, um, I would have been probably okay with it. Uh, but I, I just – I really hate skipping on all those uh, – premium five category contributing bats that are in those top two rounds. So it definitely was an option a for Tony and I, um, and I definitely wanted no part of Verlander Scherzer, obviously again, you know, I, I get now it seems obvious, but you guys know that I've been off those two uh, all along. Um, as for the siege strategy, I could see a time where it can work. Uh, if you hit that pocket of starters, we, we had a pocket of stars that we really liked around picks 100 to 150 where guys like, Lynn, Gallen, Maeda, Ray, Boyd, and Hendricks were going. Um, so if you can get like, you know, three of those, four of those, something like that, then that would be great. But in the end, Tony and I decided against this route because, you know, often those guys, a lot of those guys are, were guys that get jumped up because they're targets for people. And, you know, if we only got one or two of them and those were our only, you know, top two guys leading our rotation – um, which is all we can really guarantee, then you know, I think we'd be in big trouble at that point. Um, Siege was also big on Josh Hader, and I know he did whatever he needed to do to get on his, him on his team, including picking him, I believe, 17th overall in our draft. Um, and I, I understood the thought process, thinking you know, he's going to pitch a lot and rack up the strikeouts uh, and get some saves and some wins along the way, but that wasn't something I could get on board with. The Brewers made it clear they wanted to use him in more of a fireman role, not as a sole closer. So, you know, you get those occasional saves and wins, but not enough of either really to take him anywhere close to where he was being drafted. Um, 
if we drafted Hader, we would then still need two more closers on top of that, in my opinion, because you're not getting enough saves from him to just pair him with one other closer. Uh, you're using him more as an ace. And uh, so you're getting fewer wins in a little bit more saves. But now in 12s, I thought that drafting a guy like Hader made a lot of sense because, you know, in those teams you typically need, in the 12-team leagues, you need like two and a half closers. So if you had two other closers and then you paired them with uh, Hader as your half closer, uh, I could see you making it work, but I, I still wouldn't take him over anybody I consider an ace. Um, and uh, I thought it would probably be better just to roll out three good closers in a 12 regardless rather than dealing with that. But, you know, it's also no accident that I spent the most time talking to Phil Dussault, who has become a pretty good friend the last few months, um, where we now discuss and share pretty much everything. And, you know, Phil uses a... Um, a system to determine where in the draft the biggest values to gain in standings points are. And then he uses that to determine where he goes with each pick. So this year it led him to taking several high end starting pitchers early in the draft because he felt that there's a disparity between the early starting pitchers and the later starting pitchers, like a bigger disparity than there was between the early hitters and the later, the later hitters. And so, you know, because of that, he, he thought it was important to get those aces and then he also wanted to get three good closers because the last thing he wanted to do was to have to spend a lot of fab money on, you know, a closer if he needed one. So, you know, if you draft two, closers are kind of fickle. Even when you think you have two good ones, you never know. Um, so he was like, the only way I can guarantee that I won't need to spend money, not even a guarantee, but pretty sure would be to take three closers. So, you know, he was, that's why it's like eight of his first 10 picks and some were, uh, you know, all, all pitchers. And I was like, okay, you know, that's, uh, that's a bit aggressive for me, I think, but uh, I think you can make that work. Um, but uh, you know, even, uh, even though in our own main um, Tony and I had a little difficulty finding our, our third closer uh, at a good enough value to pull the trigger, but um, our strategy revolved around our usual grab rare resources, early approach. We wanted, two good closers, an ace, couple of five category contributor studs, and then we just look for good values along the way while staying flexible enough to be able to take what the draft gives us. We knew that outfield and starting pitching were the two positions we could get late in the draft. So if it ever came down to drafting an outfielder or a player at any other position, we would be taking whatever other position we could because we knew that we could fill that outfield slot. The other thing we knew was that we wanted to get an early starting uh, shortstop. Um, the shortstops we were considering in the first round at pick 11 were either Trey Turner or uh, Trevor Story. Um, and we had J-Ram as like our backup if uh, Turner didn't fall to us. We weren't expecting Turner to fall to us at 11, but we were open to it. Um, but because we took uh, J-Ram, we were, the next guy we were looking for would be Tim Anderson. Um, Unfortunately, no top shortstops fell to us. Some, someone jumped Anderson way early. So then we were looking at Paul DeYoung after that, uh, who was conveniently going in a mostly dead zone to us, um, kind of that 145 to 195 pick area where there were, there were only a couple of guys that we would consider targets. So it worked out nicely that we could uh, get him there. But uh, the problem with shortstop is that it really falls off a cliff after he goes around pick 170. And uh, we wouldn't be comfortable with anything after that. So we kind of just based our plan around getting the guys that we needed to when we needed to. And then the best part was just setting ourselves up to be flexible so that 
we had enough starting pitching and hitters where we would be allowed to take whatever the draft gave us, whether that be a pitcher or a hitter at any pick pretty much from there on in. So, yeah, that's what I got for you. Oh, can we talk now? I think so. You know, it's always a good strategy when you're bringing on a guest to make them be quiet for seven (laughs) minutes straight. It's really good to them. That's why we brought Tony on for this. Because I enjoy watching your guys' little uh, hand gestures and stuff during during my uh, soliloquy too. Uh, Yeah, my middle finger got tired like midway through. (laughs) (laughs) So you started talking about your guys' uh, main event strategy. Okay, Um, let me let me ask each of you. I'll start with Tony so he can say something. Uh, What did you find was the biggest challenge? this year during the draft not so much preparing for it but during the draft um so i i think that normally you expect pitching to get pushed up in any kind of main event that's just the nature of it and and for context sorry when was your draft how many days before the season so our draft was on was it tuesday dave yeah tuesday before the the thursday yeah so two days before the Um, season started yeah so i mean we you, you expect pitching to get pushed up, but even in our draft, pitching got pushed up a lot harder than we would have foreseen. I mean, now, granted, we the the strategy that we built out was designed to get that ace early on, so that we weren't necessarily desperate. Right, because we had toyed around with not we, along. we had toyed around with going you know three straight hitters, but then you were kind of uh, and I agreed with you, but you were like you know if we do that, we're putting ourselves in a bad spot with because if if they go earlier than we're thinking they might go, then we're putting ourselves in a real bad spot where we're taking a guy that we don't want to be our ace pretty much. Yeah. And that's, and that's a lot of the the draft prep is that like, yes, ADP is not like locked in stone, but it's something that can give you a guide in terms of where like the buckets you can expect to be hitting. And so just looking at those early buckets, it was something where there was a chance that if we didn't, didn't hit pitching early and get ourselves an ace that, that we'd have a hole that we'd have to dig out of. And just given where we like players, like the, the slots and in the, in the different tiers, we, we felt like we had to address it early so we didn't fall into that trap of, oh, we got to start chasing pitching now. And so we were able to build a good rotation, and I don't feel like we had to go wild for it. But at the same time, we did have to push, push pitching up and kind of adjust our other targets around a little bit to compensate. Because, um, I mean, obviously you can't. If, if you're drafting guys early, you can't get every single person at the slot you want. And so it's just something where um, we had talked about backup strategies and different plans um, right. to make if, if something like that were to happen. And sure enough, we had to do it. So it was, it was challenging, but at the same time, I don't, I don't think we were any worse for the wear for it. It's just something that we had to navigate through live as the draft was going on. Yeah. So we also drafted, well, Jake had three mains. We only had the one and, of all the four, ours was by far the most like difficult to get through. Like there was a lot of stress with guys getting sniped constantly. I mean, Jake, like in, in his first draft, it couldn't have gone any more perfectly for him. Like everybody fell to him. It was amazing. They got a little bit more difficult for him from there on, but I don't think it was anywhere close to uh, the amount of, uh, you know, challenge that we had in ours. It was really easy, you know, I just wiped the yeah, floor yeah. with everybody. <laughs> not easy, <laughs> but even you were like, man, your guys' draft was like, not, mine were not nearly yeah, it, as my, my plan was a lot easier to execute, we'll say that. Um, which, you know, I 
this is a very different year for me. I mean, it's a different year in a lot of ways. But oh, yeah. In terms of draft strategy for this sprint season, it, it really worked out that a lot of the values made me draft a lot differently than I normally draft. You know, I, I think uh, one of my drafts, I think I actually had seven pitchers in the first 10 rounds, which is yeah absurd for me. And I that would, was the one that felt like it went the best. I would never draft more than four at the very most in the right. first 10 rounds. Right. And it just, that, that's the way this year was. A lot of the pitchers we liked were in that 80, well, 90 to 140 range. Right as opposed to in the past where we'd like to grab two guys in the top 60 or so and then wait a little while or maybe grab a closer or two in there yeah, and then wait until like the 11th, 12th to start taking starters again. It just didn't work. That I mean, this year you had to take closers. Yeah, we, I mean, well, closers we, we were, thought, we think. Anyways. Well, yeah, that's, in our opinion. That's what our opinion is. And there is. weren't a lot of them. There, there weren't a lot of desirable closers to no. begin with and a lot of the ones you wanted – you had to take within the first six, seven rounds. I mean, rounds we had maybe most. seven or eight closers that yeah. we felt comfortable with. Yeah, we, I mean, Dave, you guys know Dave does a ton of closer analysis. We talk about closers probably more than we talk about anything else. <laughs> um, and and we're we're very you know well versed in the ins and outs of a lot of bullpens, and we we've centered on guys that we like, and for the most part, we tend to agree. We 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 see things the same way in a lot of in a lot of when it comes to a lot of the bullpens. Yeah, speaking of which, I'm glad I kind of was able to talk you guys out of uh, Giles a bit. I, I don't know yeah. if you were ever in a position to take him. But I wasn't. I was, I was a lot more amenable to it this year than yeah, you Yeah, I was just – I you know, we didn't have his velo info, and that mm-hmm. scared the shit out of me because yeah. I didn't know where he was compared to last year because when he got hurt, his velo went down two miles an hour. And I'm like, if he's not up there again – I'm not taking him because yeah. I'm not convinced that he's healthy because he, they never did anything. And that's, that's the thing. When, when someone has an injury and they just use rest, it doesn't work. Yeah. Like it, it just ends up sure. biting you later at some point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. At some point, so you know, my, like, I was convinced by the fact that he came back last year and was still as dominant. But as then he, he had to before. ramp up again in a short season yeah. real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Twice. We, not we only see once, how that's once in spring and then again in the summer. And that's just, yeah. in my opinion, a lot of, we risk. see how that's destroying a lot of pitchers early on. Yeah. 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 Tony, you, I mean, you, you and, in general agreed with, the closer strategy that, that both of us had. Oh, absolutely. Supported. I mean, well, especially in a short season, because well, when you think about you're, you're talking 162 game season, okay, there's, there's enough time that you can play speculation and adjust and you can kind of, kind of, kind of make it work. You can, you can catch up to some degree, obviously, if you get too far in the season, you're toast, but, but you can, you can play from a deficit um, that saves early on and, and kind of make up ground. If you're, if you're smart about who you're, speculating on if you're willing to spend some fab dollars on it but man in a short season like it having those guys who you know are going to be locked into the role that you're going to be able to get dependable saves that you're going to be able to get quality numbers from like there's not a lot of guys out there and so to be able to 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 lock that position down so you're not panicking on the wire every week trying to spend like some of the some of the bids uh just this past oh, yeah. week for, oh, for Greg Anthony Holland Bass four and five, Anthony Bass. It's like they're going for crazy. Cole yeah, Solcer, I mean, yeah. Solcer, whatever his name is. Oliver Drake. I mean, Oliver Drake looks like he actually might be the Rays closer. Okay, are you actually, <laughs> but are you actually going to buy no. that the Rays are just going to leave no, one guy? No, because like two weeks do. later, they're going to do something totally different. I mean, it'll be, it'll be, they'll have eight different guys with a close with a save by the end of the month of, of, by the end of August. Yeah. So I'm just, and, it's not where I want to spend my money. No, it's, you don't want to get caught up in that game because A, you're spending a ton of money on it. If you miss, like like Greg Holland came in today. That's, in the that's the other thing. So Very few times you even know. 
very few times do you even know if they're the closer. You're just taking a guess and you're spending like 200 bucks saying, I think he's the closer, but who the hell knows? How many right. people just bid on Greg Holland and he just pitched the seventh today? I don't know. Maybe he's still the closer, but maybe he was never the closer. I don't know. Yeah, and, it, and it's tough because you, you have to commit that money because if you don't, you're not going to be able to just wait and have a guy who you know is locked in because somebody is going to pay that money for him. But Right. And, and gr- now, granted, in a shortened season, your fab dollars are, are going to be spent a lot heavier than you would in a full yeah. year. But at the same time, if you're spending $300 chunks to get these guys who may be closers and then find out, like, hey, they're in the committee and I can't really depend on them to just slot them in every week and not worry about them, then – you can only take so many shots before you just run out of the ammo. And then at that point you're specking on guys, but there's not a lot of time to have a spec pay off. Like you could be waiting a month for a guy to get injured or lose his job. And you just can't do that. When you mentioned the fact that you have a seven player bench and COVID's going on, you don't know when you're going to need to use that. I got got four players. I can't even play right now on a couple of teams. (laughs) And that you, that's not sustainable. You have to produce now. You can't take zeros in the short term for the long term. Like you just can't do it. What a mess. <laughs> so the but main, we've, but, okay. but yeah, we've done our part to try yeah. to avoid that mess. Yes, like we exactly. knew it was going to be a mess. Right. And so we, we wanted to take as few known risks as possible because we knew of how many unknown risks there were going to be this year. And that's yeah. why we do what we do. Yeah. I mean, we, the, the main tenets of our draft strategy, one of the main ones was target those closers that we identified early because as we saw in, I mean, you guys saw in my one of my main event drafts, the closer, the closers all went within a round and a half of each other because right. when one domino mm-hmm. fell, they were all falling right behind. And I talked about this in one of the previous podcasts. It's like, do you want to be the guy who didn't take Yates and then ended up with Rysel Iglesias yeah. like a round later? Not even. Like <laughs> it wasn't. It was like six picks later. Like, think about Brandon that. Workman went less than a round after I took. Uh, think about um, that. Hector Norris. So, like, is the difference of whoever you're going to take in that round really worth no. that? No, there's no way. Not no way. position is going to have that kind of difference. In no, spend that, spend that pick, get in front of those runs. The thing we planned for the most was to make sure we got the closers where we knew they were going to go. And we had, you know, our six to eight of them that we were really into, and we made sure we got two of them. Um, exactly. Other main things that we did as a as a conglomerate, as a consortium, as we call ourselves, the yes. consortium, uh, was getting our five category contributors. Another thing that we've kind of hammered in our first few yeah. pods, getting those guys early that you know are going to provide you a good amount of power, a decent amount of speed, and not kill you now. Or the other way around, like yeah, you know, we right. we took Altuve, which is kind of uh, yes. The, well, well, actually, I, I guess now these days, no, he's more, more power than speed, yeah. but yeah. he's both. You yeah, know, he did a, steal a base already. He's though. a five-category contributor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you got Marte and one of Starling Marte, yep. and uh, you know, we also like Cattell Marte. We mm-hmm. like, you know, our first-round pick was generally a five-category contributing hitter. Um, other, than, Turner, other than when you took uh, Ozzy Ramirez, yeah, well, yeah, and then well, you got Starling in the yeah. second. Mm-hmm. So, and then you took another one in the third. So, yeah, we wanted to get at least two in those first few rounds of those five-category contributors. Yep. Um, and then getting that ace, uh, you know, we play NFBC, so pitching is always pumped up in the NFBC. You got to have your aces that you target. You know, we have a few of them, not a ton. I think, you know, who Dave's some of you, some of you like the occasional listener may may know who I kind of like, I don't, I don't know. Did you, did you guys get him in your draft? We did. Yes, Yes, we did. I was so excited. 
yeah, this season was worth it for you guys. I mean, honestly, you had your one shot and you took it. It couldn't have worked out a whole lot better. And I know people are gonna be like, "Oh, you guys are such homers because you're drafting two Indians." But I'm like, look, J Ram and Bieber, in my opinion, were two of the best values in the first two rounds, and I'm incredibly happy. And it looks like it's working out well right now. I mean, you know, it's yeah, I would say it's a long seven, season, but... but it's really not. So, <laughs> what are you saying, Tony? <laughs> if, if Bieber can yeah. start against the Royals five more times. And he does. Yeah, it's, a, no. yeah, it's like you're five days in, but it's still nice to, to see guys get off to a good start because at least you know the, that they don't have any kind of ground to make up. Or some of the – there's some players out there who just look lost, and it's going to take them some time to get up to speed. I mean, yeah, so look it, at it is a good Lucas feeling. Giolito, right. for example. <laughs> yeah, that, that's another thing we wanted to mention, you know, avoiding those inconsistent guys. And Giolito was a guy that we've, we've talked about previously as well. We, we, you know, we in general and over a full season, we, we're, we're into the skill set because right. it can even out a little bit. In this short sprint, he can destroy you. And his first start was an absolute disaster. Bomb. Yeah, I mean, his terrible. next one might be an ace-level start. Who knows? Yeah. But the reason that I was out on him is I looked at his game log from last year, and even at the end of the year when, you know, people are saying he had figured it out and everything, he was still so inconsistent. And I, I don't want that. And, I, I mean, I want consistency from start to start. And uh, in a short season, it's incredibly valuable to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and- – yeah, like, honestly, ju- just to go along with that, he, the, the inconsistency in a short season is hard to, to make up for because if you've got a guy who gets bombed every once in a while and he gets bombed twice in a short season, there's not enough games no. for him to offset that. No. It's just something where you're, you're stuck with that and you're, you're, you're chasing, chasing good ratios the rest of the year because you just happen to get unlucky because a guy wasn't ready or a guy um, doesn't, doesn't bring the same kind of performance every week. And that, that does matter in the short sprint versus the, the long form season. Yeah. Now, you know, we've uh, talked to you a little bit about risk management, maybe once or twice, maybe. So three or four, another major, major pillar of our draft strategy was avoiding those early injury risks. And for the most part, I think we were able to adhere to that because we had enough guys in our, in our quiver that, we weren't as worried about uh, you guys. I mean, you got your, your younger dependable ace like Beaver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of spread my, my draft picks around just cause I had three drafts, but right. you know, I got DeGrom, which honestly I didn't expect even remotely to be getting DeGrom at pick nine. I had picked nine in all three of my drafts, which was my number one. Um, yeah, so Kentucky you know Derby how most people choice. when they have several picks like the you know spread around there like maybe I want one early, one middle, one late. No, Jake's like I want every pick to just be pick nine. So yeah. I'm just gonna get that. Well, pick. You don't expect to get your first choice in all three of your main event drafts. I mean, but like nobody wanted nine, I guess. Yeah, no shit. I, I think <laughs> I think my worst drafts, I mean, you know, draft order choice. I think I was the sixth one drafted in one of them, so that was the latest, which is odd. I wow. don't usually have that kind of luck. Yeah. But yeah, I got nine in all three, and Degrom was there in one of them. But I did. I what was your last choice? Uh, fifteen, I think. Okay, fourteen yeah. or fifteen. I mean, the late picks yeah. were the worst. I didn't any, want to anything be there from this year. thirteen through fifteen. I did not want any part of. Yeah. It was the worst. Um, but I had to pivot. Uh, it's something. It's it, we've already touched on today. Being adaptable, being able to still stick to your plan with guys that you would normally be interested in, but you didn't think you'd have the opportunity to draft. I, right. I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. bank on getting Degrom at all at pick nine. He wasn't part of my plans, but he's still a guy. He was my number one rated. I said, look, on man, this is gonna be your only chance to get yeah. him out of your three. So why it not? was interesting because that was your first one that, that you I don't know. That was the second one. Was it? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. It was. I took Trey in the first one. Oh, that's right. Trey Turner. Yeah, you're right. Um, but 
I've never taken a picture in the first round of the main event before. I've been playing since 2013. This is the first time. And I figured when I can get my number one pitcher, you know, past the midpoint of the first round, I'll give it a shot in this, in this shortened season. Mm-hmm. This is a different animal. So I felt like I'd give it a choice. There's, just, so there's a so many injuries to pitchers before the draft started between spring yeah. and then summer. And I was the pool was so so thinned out by then that yeah. you just it makes sense. I was pretty confident that Degrom was going to be ready to go. And yeah, he's he's shown he's been. We durable. looked in the back injury a little bit and determined that it wasn't right. really a, a big it didn't injury. Didn't seem risk. to be a big thing. Yeah, it I mean, seemed like a, 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 a small risk. I mean, you guys event. know obviously that we're risk averse, but you know if it's if it's something minor, like we weren't concerned about Yelich mm-hmm. either. And you know, I think we're gonna we're gonna hit on injuries a little bit later, so we can kind of go through that. But mm-hmm. our last our last major pillar here was waiting on outfielder as long as you can. In a year that there were even more at offensive players added to the player pool with the universal DH and the NL, there were so many outfielders, even combo outfielders, power speed guys in the mid to you know almost last third of the draft yeah that you could put on your team in your starting lineup and feel which okay you got, with. which you got every damn one of them in your first draft uh yeah it's the only one i got austin hazen though which was a total kick to the nuts but yeah so jake is a huge austin hayes stand i am a austin hayes honk and i've been that way for a couple of years now but um I do have him in one at least, and he's in both of my draft champions. But not not like Tony is a Byron Buxton honk. Nobody. Well, can Hayes reach that hasn't long. been around that long. <laughs> no. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, get, get, get he he almost has as now. many injuries as Buxton. <laughs> <laughs> but there were so many outfielders late. I mean, you had your Trent Grisham. Yeah, sure. Grisham. Oh man, I really wanted Grisham so Shinsu bad. Chu. I mean, these are you know four, uh, 16, 17, 18, 19th round picks, and you could put those guys in your starting lineup and be fine with them. Whereas other positions, you didn't have yeah. that, those kind of options. You can't get available. a second baseman like that. No. Or shortstop. You definitely well, yeah, can't even, get a Even shortstop. the deepest position supposedly this year, they all went in the first five rounds. Like Tim Anderson yep. was pretty much uh, – Ahmed Rosario maybe was the last one you'd be happy with. Well, for, us, even it, then, for us it was DeYoung because we got DeYoung. That's true. But Sorry. As your starting shortstop? He's your starting yeah. shortstop? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Is they not good enough I mean, to be your it wasn't, it wasn't my job. Wow, dude, just, just so, rip, wow. rip us on the air. Look at this elitist. Although you are higher than me overall right now. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so wait on those outfielders, or or you should have waited on those outfielders, maybe in our opinion. Yes. Okay, uh, I think for anything to add, Tony, you got you got any more to say for that? I mean, just the the, the whole concept of it is when you're when you're looking at different tiers of players, when you're when you're seeing where the the different positions dry up like you're absolutely like outfield stuck out as you keep going down you say okay well I understand this is a different tier but these guys are still really damn good whereas right. you start looking at other positions you say okay I'd feel a little gross starting this guy at at like an actual infield position like as a middle infielder sure but I don't know if I'd want to want to have him in the lineup every day committed to a slot and so when you're trying to it, it, you have to compromise on something in a 15 team league the you're not so going to have all stars at every position, exactly. That's right. You're you're not going to be able to to quote unquote expertly fill every single position. You're going to have to make some compromises. The hardest to adjust to is looking at your roster when you're done and, and being happy with two holes as opposed to five. Yep. But <laughs> right. and, and the thing and the thing too is if you're going to have a hole like outfield is a great hole to have because there's going to be so many guys coming up whether or not exactly it's it's COVID issues or whether or not it's just guys who are rotating in by a DH. I mean, there's there's plenty of opportunities for guys to gain playing time in the season. Whereas 
again, when you're looking at some of these other positions, like whether or not it's locked down because um, there's, there's a, an entrenched veteran there who the only way he's going to get moved is by a, like COVID or something like that. Or if it's something where you're looking at closer and you say, Hey, there's only a few closers we like, that's the kind of stuff where address those positions early, get them out of the way. Yeah. Uh, make sure that you feel comfortable with them because you know, you're going to be able to make things happen in outfield. Even if the, the discounts you're getting in outfield don't pan out because obviously not every pick is going to work, but you can easily address outfield and free agency. Whereas you're going to be, you're going to be hurting if you're trying to look for a real start in some of these other spots. Agreed. And mm-hmm. a lot of it goes back to building your draft from uh, the back to the front. You know, you yeah. want to figure where you can, where you can build your draft, who you can draft at the later part of the draft so that you don't have to worry about those positions or resources early. You know, like we've said, get your speed guys early. Those guys who can contribute in other categories, not just the stolen base only guys who are kind of worthless. Otherwise, you don't want to get stuck with them. So get your guys who can contribute in speed in the first 10 rounds. Um, and also, you know, don't, don't take outfielders early where you can avoid it. Because like we said, you can find plenty of good outfielders in those late teens, early twenties rounds. So um, yeah, that's, uh, that's how we approach it. Yeah. We, and, we stayed. Oh, go ahead, Ben. No, I, honestly, even with the, the single category contributors like this, this season with, with COVID being a risk puts you at even more, Right. Danger by That's taking true. those guys because you're, you're talking about before, like you take a, a guy like Malik Smith and you're well, look at VR VR for the, uh, for the Marlins. He probably has COVID right now. Right. And, and mean, that's the thing is when, when playing you're, the numbers, but playing you know. the numbers, 15 players from their team have COVID. So yeah. it's probably likely that VR has COVID. So, mm-hmm. assume, so assuming that you drafted VR in like the second round, unless it's to be the whole your, or third or round, something like that. But, I mean, yeah. maybe, but um, I mean, you drafted this guy to be like a main source for your steals and now he's out, and you didn't draft steals otherwise. And, that, and that's the thing. You can't make that up on the wire, whereas if you're no. diversified and you're taking those five-category guys, you lose a guy, yeah, it's going to suck, but you can try to replace that production. You're not going to replace a guy who you're counting on for 30, 40 steals. That's just right. Like right. I mean, in a, in a full season, obviously, not in this. Yeah. yeah, 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 full season stats-wise, yeah. I think one of my mains, I didn't draft a dedicated outfielder until the 14th round. Yeah, I took – Avi Garcia, that was the first dedicated outfielder. But there's so many guys that were nice combo uh, multi-eligibility guys right. that had second or outfield, third or outfield. So you had your Ketel Martez, your Whitmerry Fields, your J.D. Davis. Yeah, J.D. We Davis got J.D. was a Davis. big target for we us. We use him in the third, too. All four of our mains, we got J.D. Davis. Tony and I took Castellanos in the fifth because he followed us there. We weren't mm-hmm. expecting him to be on the board, but we were really high on him. And yeah, you know, it's okay to take right. And occasionally, yeah, like one, one yeah, one. Know. I took two. I took uh, Starling Marte when I took Degrom just because I needed to sure. get a well, combo Marte guy. Marte is a different. I mean, he, that guy's I, a stud five category. I took Soler so. in the ninth, I think. Which ah, well, the only reason I took him was because it was the ninth. And right, he and he had fell. He had fallen and far enough. What I had sense. done thus far. Yeah, so. you had no yeah, power, exactly. so he fit very well. Yeah, so. We, we, for the most part, avoided taking early outfielders. Yeah. And it, it seems so far to have worked out for us. We're happy with the result, but, you know, we're five games in, so we'll see. Tough to say. But <laughs> there's a lot of season left. We can take the, we can take the five-day in victory lap. <laughs> but I guess the moral of the story here is if you're going to venture into the high-stakes arena, don't approach it like it's a Yahoo 12-team draft with trades. Right. You have to have a plan. You have to have a backup plan, and you have to have an ability to develop another backup to your backup plan. And you have to stay balanced and, and have the ability to be balanced and, throughout the and draft. And analyze where you are at with your plan 
along the way. Yeah. Keep adapting the whole way. Yeah. Cause if you dig yourself into a hole where you're saying I have to get a ton of starting pitching cause I drafted all hitters early and that starting pitching goes off the board, you're, you're in a hole you might not be able to dig out of. And so it's important right. to, to realize when that's happening before you get to that point so that you can actually fill out a full roster without having to, to really push guys up the board at a value you're not comfortable with. Right. We, we talked about Casey Chaw's article a couple episodes ago about how he would build from the back, yeah. eliminate a ton of players and then have a, a pool of, you know, maybe 20, 25% of the player pool that he's drawing from. And in my three different drafts, they're vastly different. But, but they're the all players pool. that I like from right. that pool. Yeah, I never ended up having to take a closer I didn't like, a starter I didn't like because they were all getting snatched up. So just develop a pool of players where you can take different positions at different ranges. You know, don't, don't be willing to draft anybody, but be willing to draft a second baseman in the third round or the eighth round and maybe have a, a couple backups in the 14th, 15th. Just, just be flexible but not too flexible that you're taking guys you don't like. I know it's easier said than done, but it it's is. another thing that sometimes, comes with experience. Sometimes a guy that's still sitting on the board and it's, 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 hard, to, it's, hard, to, it's hard to pass on him. But yep. more often than not, taking your guys instead of taking the guy that's, that's falling is, is the way to go. Um, Tony and I diverted from that and took uh, Bear T in the 15th round in our draft. Um, I kind of had immediate regret afterwards, but I'm hoping it still works out a little bit. We could – we could have used some more speed and we, we didn't have a backup shortstop at the time. And I didn't really like the options at shortstop after him, but yeah, I'm still not in love with the pick. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see if it works out, but he probably has COVID now too. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of, a lot of <laughs> it's going to depend that. on whether or not he's playing. Yeah, sure. It's, it's I mean, 15 thing. players on the team have COVID. So yeah. the odds are against. Right. <laughs> they, the the odds are. Yeah. All right. I think this is a wonderful time for us to take a break. We will be right back after a word from anchor. And we're back. Um, I think now we can move on to our news section. Um, we do have uh, something. Well, I guess we should address something before the news section. What do you think? Dave's, oh, Dave's yeah. recent Twitter thread yeah. controversy, quote unquote. <laughs> uh, even though we've been saying it for a long time, Dave is a lot more vocal than Tony or I. Tony, are you on Twitter these days? <laughs> I, I am. Did I, I, I am. Did, we at, didn't at even Spectre mention 14. your Twitter handle before. Oh, dude, so you, you're trying to keep my followers then. I, that's that's right. <laughs> I'm, I'm I mean, growing at a non-exponential pace, and I need to keep you behind me. That, that's right. <laughs> People are regretting following Jake by Because you minute. have so many things to say these days. They all want to hear I mean, about the Cleveland Browns oh, draft great. mistakes. Of oh, the yeah. I mean, there's, six, a, there's a lot of years. Browns yeah, stuff I, on Tony Twitter. Yeah, I, I, I talk a lot of Browns. I, I talk I talk some baseball. It, it just where it just can depends. we find you, Tony? Where can they find you and your your random Grim Reaper avatar? Yeah, I, I might put my face on there eventually, but it's uh, at Specter fourteen S P E C T R E spelled the right way. Spelled the right way. I mean, you're also yeah. talking to a guy who has a jar of mayo as his avatar. I, I know. I was about to say you're. That's what you're, I look you're, like. You you don't look like a jar of mayo right now. I mean, I mean you're kind of kind of shaped like one, but you don't. Look I'm as like white that. as a jar of mayo. All right, you're more red though. <laughs> it's hot in here. Uh huh. All right, so it's, Dave's it's, been it's on Twitter with Dave. taking his victory laps. Not really, not really victory but, laps. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm just egging you on. Um, we yeah, got to get him fired up. Do that because then you're kind of encouraging right. people to see it that way, and it's obviously not. Am that. I? I don't know. No, are you I'm not? 
I'm not trying to. I'm just trying to lighten the mood, but I guess it's not lightening the mood. So we've been talking about our risk aversion and specifically one of the players that came up a ton yeah. was good old Justin Verlander who just landed on. Was the, that in our, uh, was that last episode, episode five that we talked about his new arm angle? We did. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did. We just uh, talked about Jeff Zimmerman's mining the news piece where he did highlight the fact that he was dropping his release point quite a bit, yeah. changing his mechanics to stay healthy, which is <laughs> horribly. That's not a good sign. No. <laughs> uh, it's a horrible indicator of future risk. Um, and lo and behold, JV has forearm strain, which yeah. is usually a precursor to TJ. Yep. Now, Dave, you took a lot of flack about your comments about Verlander in the preseason, your ranking of him very low. Yeah, I had um, him outside the top 20. I told everybody I would be taking all these guys over him, and they told me I was full of shit and that uh, I was delusional. And, me, you know, I don't know, maybe on a subconscious level when I tweeted that, there was a little bit of that, but I was really not meaning it to sound like a victory lap. It was just that I feel like if you're going to, if you're going to come at me, then when you're wrong about something and I'm right, you need to come back and say, I'm sorry for saying that shit to you. You were, you were, you were on this one. And I, you know, I was talking to Tony earlier about victory laps and I'm like, well, you know, not that's what it was, but other people take victory laps all the time. You know, you see Vlad talking about how he outfabs someone or, you know, guys, anybody, any analyst talking about how they were on someone and they're having a great year. Uh, I just think it's maybe a little different with an injury because of the fact that, you know, someone's, as Tony put it, someone's feeling bad about it. And like, you know, if you just miss out on someone, okay, whatever. But it's like, if you actively fucked up and it's a big player for you, I get how that feels like someone's rubbing salt in the wound or whatever. That was not my intent though. As we were talking about before, it, the point is to, to kind of give people these teachable moments where in the moment it's more poignant when you're like, okay, this just happened. Don't forget this. Don't write this off as bad luck. This was not an accident. You could have avoided this. If you had dug deeper on this, you would have realized that it's not worth the risk of taking a guy like Verlander when you can take someone who's much, much more less, much less of a risk, like a Bieber or, you know, someone like of that ilk. So it was just like, I I feel like people avoid the whole risk tolerance thing because they're like, well, I, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if someone's healthy or not. I'm like, if you, if you look into the information enough, you can find that out. I mean, you can at least give yourself a good shot. Like when, when Mikolas got injured today, you know, it was like, that was another guy on my list that I put out a couple of days ago because he had PRP injections, which was the exact same thing that Chris Sale had, which is why I didn't even have Chris Sale ranked this off season. And people give me flack for that. It's so like Griff or, um, Griffin Canning, Griffin Canning, Garrett Richards two years ago where he right. got PRP tried to, then he got Tommy John as right. well. So when I see something like, like an injury that they just tried to rest or they just try to fix with PRP when it's clear that they need Tommy John, I don't buy it. And I don't care how much you want them to be healthy or how good they were not. the year before. Exactly. People are like, but Verlander was so good last year. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm not getting that Verlander. I'm getting the injured Verlander, the current version of him coming off of three different injuries. And one of the things that, you know, Bubba said that I was kind of annoyed by was he was like, he didn't even have a shoulder injury. I'm like, yes, he did. (laughs) The shoulder was one of the three off season injuries that he was, you know, recover quote unquote recovering from. And I think they thought that just because 
there's some time between the spring and the summer that he was just going to be okay. And it's like, no. Yeah, he, he had only had surgery for the groin. The other stuff didn't have surgery. Exactly. So you're just hoping that rest would make it okay. And so, you know, the, I got a lot of support, to be honest with you. Like when I tweeted that out, it was really only Bubba who was coming for me, but he was telling me that other people were talking about it. And I, I don't, you know. Bubba, let, let's preface. Yeah, I like Bubba. That's the thing. Like I want, you know, I, that's why I even apologize. I'm yeah. like, look, man, I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way. It's not about victory laps please understand where I'm coming from. I just want to help people be better players in the future. And the yeah. only ways you're going to do that is by learning from your mistakes and by acknowledging them in the moment and then changing your mindset for the next year. Bubba's one of the nicest guys in the industry. Yeah, we love Bubba. He's always thinking about everybody else. Yep. And he is always thinking about his followers and how can I help them next? And I mean, that's he's the what, one who how gave, to, he gave me my first podcast yeah. episode. So yeah. yeah. And he, he's thinking about, you know, help people fix this right and we have our ways of fixing it and unfortunately for some our ways are big picture as opposed to little picture of the season our goal here with this pod is not to give you guys fab pickup advice it's not to tell or you guys rankings. or rankings yeah. or um you know little tidbits that are going to give you a leg up you know, in the in, moment, in the moment, that's good. Yeah. We are big picture people. We're philosophy people. We're strategy people. That's what we know. That's what we do. We've been playing high stakes for almost a decade. Now, all of us, Dave's longer than us. Yeah. We've seen a lot. We've done a lot. We've had our accomplishments. We've been successful. And really all we are trying to do is convey that experience to you guys. You touched on something about, you know, how people are feeling after JV got injured they're reeling, they're, they're, they're down, they're scrambling. And we totally get that. And we, we empathize with that, you know, even though we're not feeling it personally right now, yeah, we understand that people are scrambling and they want to replace JV. Um, our ultimate goal here is to help you guys. I keep calling it learning to fish. We want to teach you guys the lessons that we've learned in the decade plus that we've done this in the high stakes arena. We want to convey that knowledge to y'all. We want to help you prevent as best as possible this kind of stuff from happening to you. Um, you know, we can't predict injuries, right? but there are indicators there. We, we've mentioned them countless times with Verlander, mm -hmm. the indicators that were there. People just didn't want to listen to them. Just because he was so good last year and he's so fun to root for because, you know, he's older and he's still doing it. And I get that, but you know, we're, we're not, we're not here to, to say nice things about every player. That's, that's not going to help you. No. Exactly. Saying nice things about every player and making you comfortable with drafting everybody is totally not the way to play fantasy baseball. No, it's not going to help make you a worse player. It's good for content because it's fun to listen to confirmation biases come to light because all your favorite analysts say nice things about the guys you drafted, but that's not what we're here for. Nope. That's not going to make you better. All that's going to do is make you feel good in April and May. And then in August, when you're moving on to football, that's <laughs> why. Yeah. Because you're listening to all the nice things that were said about your players in March and you drafted them or, or you, you drafted them because people said nice things about everybody. And, 
that's not to say you guys can't do your own research, but you know, we're trying to teach you how to do your own research here. Tony, I, we, you've, you've sat exactly. in silence long enough. What do you want to add to this? <laughs> yeah, please. I mean, to, to, to me, it's something where when you're thinking about how to put a team together, you like, if you look at a guy like Verlander, like, yes, you know what he's capable of and you know that he has pitched 200 innings forever, but at the same time, he's getting older, he's dealt with injury issues. And when you miss on a pick like that, like when you hit on a pick like that, okay, you're getting a really solid pitch, you're getting an ace. But in terms of comparing him to the guys around him, and then you factor in the injury risk, when, when, when Verlander goes down, when you lose your ace, when you lose your first round ace, that torpedoes your season. Right. I mean, it's something where if you are just drafting, you don't have to hit home runs in your early round. It's nice to hit home runs, and that will give you an advantage. And honestly, but, that's a lot of what this is, is that misconception that people who don't have our experience think you have to, like, YOLO every pick early in a draft because this is for the main event. If I'm going to win it, I have to hit on these big home run picks, and it's, it's not about that. It's about no, not I mean, it's, missing. And, and, again, it does help when you hit on those picks, but at the same time, you can hit on those picks later in the draft. Exactly. And those guys, if you hit on a guy at 200 who returns a top 50 value, that is going to help you a great deal. But if you pick a Verlander versus a Bieber who's going after Verlander, that like, like how much of a difference is that? But then when you factor in the injury risk and suddenly your, your season's in jeopardy because the, you, you took a guy who's 37, 38 years old, and yes, he's been healthy up until this point, but it, you're starting to see the warning signs. Right. That's the kind of risk you just don't need to take. And like, I get that with what, when you're talking injuries, like, like Dave was mentioning, when you're talking injuries versus, versus guys who break out, it's, it's very, it's, it's much more feel good to say, Hey, I found this guy that no one else was on because I did this it's research. About doing victory laps. You mean? Yeah, exactly. It's like, I, I did, I did this research. I found this guy, I hit on him. He exploded and people who listened to me benefited and it was great. And right. the, the, the difference is when a guy gets hurt, it's, it's something where you still want to have that be a teachable moment because that's an important lesson to learn too. And it just doesn't feel as good to say like, hey, look, you shouldn't have done this. Because at that point, people say like, oh, you're on my nose and that are, oh man, like my season's in shambles and you're sitting here telling, telling me that I screwed up. And that's not the intention. I understand that's how the psychology works in the moment. But like right. to, to your guys' yeah. point, in the end, the the... the point that you're trying to get across is that these are risks that if you avoid them, you will be better for them just in the same vein as if you take these breakout players who do really well, you'll be better for that. You need to have a combination of both. You can't be taking breakout players at the back end of the draft and have your, your early rounds bust because you took too much risk at that point because your draft just isn't going to pan out that way. You're going Those breakout picks are now going to be trying to fill in the void left by your, your early bust or your injury issues. And every, everything that you can do to, to learn how to get better at mitigating that risk about how to say, I'm not going to jeopardize my early rounds, and then I'm going to allow my success in the later rounds to help me out, is going to help you. Even if in the moment, yeah, it feels painful. Like, yeah, it sucks to lose a guy like that. And, and sure, like the, the chance of us losing someone in the season, like it's going to happen. But it's right, but that's different like because this. an unknown risk is something that we can't plan for. But that's Correct. why I don't want known risks. Correct. Because and, you and never know who you're going to lose to COVID, but that's not something that we can plan for. Yeah, in, in a season like this too, like you've got the COVID risk that's just completely unpredictable. Like who knows what's going to what's going to happen as the season unfolds. You've already got that risk. 
you've already got the, the risk of the unknown and you still have the same amount of roster spots. You still have the same amount of bench spots. Right. And, and no IL and, slots. Right. In, in this season, even more so than most, it's important most, but especially in this season, you can't be having these issues because it's, you don't have as much time to adjust. You don't have as much space to adjust. And so when you tell people that, it, that like, that's the goal. The goal is to, to think about those things and say, how can I reduce this so I can, I can use the, the rest of my draft research, the, the good picks that I hit on later to really drive my team instead of having to try to play catch up with them. Right. I think something you said there is really interesting that I never thought about before was, you know, the, the breakout picks that you draft later don't have the same impact for you if you're using them to replace someone that you lost uh, by taking a silly risk early in the draft. Right. Um, that's, that's a really good point, you know? I mean, um, and that's, that's why we draft the way we do. And that's, that's why we uh, avoid those risks in the first several rounds because we know that those players are irreplaceable. And even if we can replace them with someone that broke out later, you're not going to see the benefit of that because you're trying to replace that guy still. And so, you know, to all the people that don't understand why I rank the way I do, this is, this is why. Last thing I want to say about this. I, I mean, I am a teacher by trade. I, you know, I, I, I try to teach, I teach junior high mostly, but I try to teach my kids a little bit of life lessons as I'm teaching them the subjects I'm actually supposed to teach. Cause that's, I mean, <laughs> every educator is supposed to imbue a little bit of life experience onto their. That's their I M B U E for those of you yeah. who need to look that one up. But um, I knew that word. <laughs> The moment, it, it is so much more effective to teach something in the moment that it's occurring rather than revisiting it months down the road. I think that should be pretty much common sense. But uh, I, I don't know if it is, I, I think some people are not, um, I, I don't know if they're giving that as much thought as they should with this instance. I, you, you, anytime you are learning a lesson, there are so many different contextual things that go into that. It's not just the thing that happened, but it's the reaction that you have to the thing that happened, the feelings that are going on with you, the, the, the causation or the, the things that happened because of it, the different ramifications of that action, the different reactions of other people. You know, there are so many different things that make it memorable. So why would you not make the lesson happen at that time where everything is going to be vividly memorable to you. Right. And thus it'll help you remember it in the future. Revisiting this in February is not going to give you the same feelings that it gives you now. Absolutely. You're not not going to remember how you felt. Right. As much. Right. When when you first heard that Verlander went out and you looked at your roster and he wasn't there anymore. And we've all had these, this happened to us in the past in our fantasy careers. We weren't always like this. We developed this process because of so many years of learning lessons have taught us to get to where we are now. Right. And we didn't have podcasts to listen to back then. Right. Yeah. No. Stuff. yeah. no, it was, it was we, were, we were YOLOing it with the best of them. Back yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. We were yellowing because we were young and we were younger than anybody there. Well, so we threw our money around. So there was no information. Like yeah. there was nowhere. It's not like clo- that. There was no Twitter. There was nowhere close to this amount of information. Well, there was about. Twitter, but it wasn't. Was it? Has like, it really been around? Yeah. Yeah. I've been on Twitter since 2011. Okay, but I, I think I've been around. Since yeah, you started in 2006. So, yeah, that was five years before Twitter. Yeah, but even sure. even so, 2011 Twitter isn't 2020 Twitter. Oh, definitely not. There's so sure. much more available right now. Yes. My my point is, 
you guys have access to the kind of information that we didn't when we started playing and uh, you know, use that to your advantage. Very good. I think that's a good way to close. Um, let's move on to the news. We're going to try and fly. most people do the news first. We wanted to say all the annoying things that maybe you didn't want to hear first. Um, we kind of had a easier yeah, so transition. Still listening. Those. <laughs> so I guess we'll, we'll address that uh, big COVID outbreak in Miami. Yeah. Uh, right now we have a tally of 15 players total. Uh, is that including Garrett Cooper and them? I, I think, think that is. Yeah. So. Okay. I, I think it is. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the only they said total. Yeah. So Garrett Cooper, Jose Urania, Harold Ramirez. Uh, the only one that we have heard a name for so far is Miguel Rojas. Uh, so there's another 11 players that we have not been able to put a name to. Uh, as well as two coaches on the Marlins. Please not bear teeth. Well, you're out <laughs> I mean, of yeah, yeah, the and odds I are not in our favor. Up, I and you guys picked up Monty Harrison. But Monty Harrison isn't with names. them. He's right. at a different cycle. But if you, the Marlins don't play for another two weeks, it's yeah, going to be worthless. God, yeah, Jesus. Yeah. That's the thing. I, the, yeah. the Marlins have, have paused their season, whatever that means. Yeah. We, we don't know. This Nobody, knows. Nobody knows. I feel like I've said that 70 times these first six episodes. I just um, cannot believe that they decided to play oh, after yeah, four players after contracted four it via text it, yeah. message. They, so they had two medical experts who told them not to play, yeah. and they had a text message chain and said, hey, we're going to do that. Ridiculous. Like, how, and, and, how are the protocols skirted like that? And they still were skirting the protocol. Like, they're still, yeah. like, like they're talking high-fiving. to each other with high-fiving each they're, other, no they're masks They're hugging on. and like, celebrating in doing? the dugouts and taking off. You know, I saw Ioannis Cespedes hit that home run in the – was it the first game of the year? And they're all, like – crowding around him and, and <sighs> taking his helmet off. It just makes you just, cringe to see. Like, I, I get these, you know, we're not that old, but I think we're old enough to realize that they shouldn't be doing all these yeah, silly things. I mean, come on, man. Some of these guys are our age. I get I mean, your even excited. Hell, the coaches are 20, 30 years old. Do air us. high fives or something, yeah. you know? It's but like, how hard is it? Even if you're not looking at it from, like, a health perspective, like, if they're not afraid of their health, it's still, if you – contract COVID, you're going to be sitting. Like, you're going to yeah. hurt your team from a competitive standpoint. So, think of it from that aspect. And if like, the season either way, shuts down, you're not any getting sense. any money this year. I know they're not getting paid, you know, what they should be getting, but they're not getting anything if the season right. gets shut down. So, you know, the Marlins are paused. Uh, the Phillies are still in quarantine. I think yeah. they're supposed to play this weekend, but they're but not going to play until negative, Friday. So, nobody's out, but they're going to miss the first four right. games from this right. week. And the Yankees and the Orioles, there's talk that they they're are going to play, play tomorrow, and uh, tomorrow being Wednesday and Thursday. Yeah. Even though they're not scheduled to play then, they're going to just play the games and then figure the rest out They later. should have had this all built into the schedule for flexibility yes. purposes to begin with. Like, I don't know why this wasn't plan A. Like, okay, let's have the teams who don't have COVID play each other during this. I, I really don't know. But and, then again, and, I, I ask an answer because it's it fucking Manfred. So yeah, and we you know we're sitting here holding the bag. We don't we don't know what we're doing with our rosters. You know, nope. I, I had to I had to start multiple Marlins slash Orioles this week on one of my mains. God help you if you're heavily invested in those. I, teams. I was I the one team I had three yep. Marlins and Austin Hayes. And oh boy. I'm just I had no choice. Nothing you can do. And it all came out after waivers. So. Of course. What, I mean, you know, in general, we keep more pitchers than hitters on our bench. Does it seem like everything happens on Sunday night or Monday morning? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like nobody mm-hmm. – like, how do we never know? Because we back? remember it more because of the feeling it is. Yeah, because, it be, because it screwed us See? so many times. Look at that. Look, confirmation right there. Look at that. <laughs> it happens all the time, but we remember it at that point because right. it screws us right. so bad. Yep. So, we're basically in a holding pattern with those guys. 
we're sitting here hoping they play at some point. We don't know when the Marlins are going to get back on the field because we don't even know if they can field a team at this point. <laughs> so is, is, I mean, do we have any other thoughts for anybody else? Like what can we do other than just say, wait it out? Should we be dropping these guys? I mean, in, in leagues that are not NFBC, should people be dropping these oh, guys? Uh, mm. Well, it I mean, it's a, it depends on the caliber of player. Right. Yeah, it depends. So right now it's Tuesday, right? I yes. mean, if you're in a daily transaction, it is Wednesday league, now, technically. Wednesday. Okay, shut <laughs> up. All right, but like, it depends. You know, if uh, I- I- am I in a league where dropping someone and I can pick up someone really good right away, then maybe. And you can't put these guys on the IL either. Right, but some right. leagues have. Uh, yeah, that's true because they're not on the IL yet. But, I mean, hopefully by for us, by the time Sunday night comes around, we'll have a lot more clarity on not only who the players are who are infected, but, you know, kind of wh- who, we, who we have as options out of that group. And, yeah. yeah, if you're out with COVID, I'm dropping you. I don't care how good you are. I mean, I, I'm probably dropping everybody who has COVID. Really? I think, everybody. I mean, if they're symptomatic, yes. Okay, symptomatic. Um, yeah, asymptomatic, it, then I might hold them if they're very good. It's just tough because there's not even a lot of news leaking about that either. Like Christian Yelich got COVID and he's symptomatic. You're going to drop him? Symptomatic? I think you yeah. have to, no? That's a, that's a hard one, man. That, it that, is, that's a hard drop. I, it's, it's, oh, okay, it depends. It depends on who I'm replacing him with. In a 15-team league, yeah, you're right. Like it's, it's, it's hard to have any kind of replacement value for him. But, I mean, you don't have a lot of time to sit around waiting because he could be no. out for two months. Yeah, I guess. How long it, was Freddie? It, how long was Freddie Freeman? Freddie Freeman. Keenan Kayla. Nobody even knows that that dude's still alive. Like, yeah. who knows? When you have sim- symptomatic, I mean, you could be out over a month easily. Well, Free, Freeman did. I mean, it, like, we don't know how this virus affects everybody. Right. There's no, no, he is hitting right. the ball well. And, 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 that's, and that's the it problem. It didn't take him too long. He seemed to be pretty bad off, and he came back okay. But he was out but, for what a month and a half. No, what? I don't think wrong? it was that. No, long. was it a month? Okay. I don't think so. The the, um, the biggest thing is that it affects everyone differently, and so it really has to be on a case by case basis. It's something yeah. where you have to figure out the, the caliber of player, how how long you're able to hold them, because God knows you're going to have other issues on your roster. Right. But then, like, how is this affecting them? Because I mean, like, you got Juan Soto who's sitting there. He says he feels fine. He keeps testing negative, but he can't yeah. string two negative yeah. tests together. He's had like so three negative tests, but they've all been you know, bookended by positive ones. So, and, and so that's the thing is, is the process can delay a long time or it can be really quick. It's just, it's an entirely dependent on the and individual. And that's that tough. either shows that MLB's testing is flawed or this virus is extremely uh, more finicky than we thought. And either one of those is pretty harrowing. Yeah. I don't, I, I just don't know. It's, it's, it's wild. The theme of the year. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on, man. Just tell but me. But any you any you know borderline players that you have on on a t- uh, in yeah borderline to, to be sure you have to just yeah. drop them because yes. they're out yeah. for two weeks minimum. You know, and... Eliezer Hernandez, we like him, but right. if he has COVID, right. drop him. And his matchups sure. weren't amazing all year anyway. Right. So right. yeah, borderline guys like that, even in streamers, a 15, you know, yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, we're gonna try and quick hit a lot of these news items, and I I know we're probably not gonna cover everything that's gone over over the last forty eight hours or so. Right. We're going to try our best. We're going to try and blow through these because we're already at a minute or an hour 10 so far for you all. So uh, we'll do our best here. Okay. Well, we'd be getting through it quicker if you just got to it instead yeah. of talking about that, you know, it. I keep can, thinking can, can that you tell them what, talking, what you're about to do on yeah. one time? Yeah, I, I still have Are you going to say that after each news item or maybe we just go? I'm going to try and do this really <laughs> quick here. Okay. Alex Woods on the 10-day IL. Surprise, surprise. Um, 
Velo was way down in start number one. Yeah, he did um, not look good. No, he was, he was look, not good. Look for Velo was way down. Um, the word is that Clayton Kershaw might be ready to come back Friday yeah. or sometime this weekend. Good for his owners because we yeah, all gotta, thought he might be done. For that. Yeah, the the whole back thing was. Back, I mean, now granted, it's a back it's, injury, it's so don't he's not out of the woods by any stretch of the imagination. Right. But they're playing it, it down. Sounds, but sounds yeah. like he could be okay so he would be a natural replacement for alex wood since dustin may's already in the rotation that was good just, news for dustin may for sure right yeah, dustin may is pretty much solidified now anybody that took the chance on it i was not one that no, wanted to we, no we weren't we weren't really that. uh on that i mean because the dodgers him, tend to move everybody around and things, you had to take and, him too early you knew that the dodgers were going to limit his innings yep. uh it just didn't seem like the right shot to take but it, it looked good after start number one so we'll see how yeah. he does yeah uh, skills yeah. look really nice that that power sinker was tripling like seven innings yep. i was shocked yep. by that yep they let him go so yeah. maddie wood that's a feather in your cap on yep. that one <laughs> uh nice nice podcast by the way matt and uh matt cuffley yeah uh, ftn podcast starting off real well um okay moose mike moustakis and nick senzel both tested negative it was today well yesterday tuesday just stop with that. Yeah, I know. It's really dumb. Um, so they got to test negative one more time. We think. Um, that means that all of you playing NFBC, hopefully, you can maybe slot them back in your lineups this weekend. Tony, do you have any shares of those two guys? Um, I do not, actually. The, well, I, the, I, I, I do like Moose. It just never, he never fell to me in a spot where I liked him. Yeah, same. But uh, I think I saw that Senzel was not put on the aisle, but Moose was put on the aisle. Okay. So I don't know that Moose is coming back uh, right away. And I don't know if it – I don't think it's COVID, though. I think he just has some sort of – like, I saw that he was showing COVID symptoms, I think, but they said it was not COVID. Ah, all right. So he's – so I don't think Moose is coming back for another week or two, um, but Senzel might be back soon. Okay, interesting. I think. Um, and that's going to – anybody that grabbed Aristides Aquino, they're probably not going to be able to use him anymore once. I don't know. Come back. And the Reds have been Who doing knows? some crazy things anyway with those guys. They've been strict platooning a lot of those outfielders, even Akiyama. I, did, yeah. I didn't see that coming with him, but they have been yeah, they're messing pulling him in the sixth inning, Winker, Irvin, that's any why of those I, guys. I avoided, I avoided all those guys other than Castellanos, Castellanos is because the only we one. knew that he was going to play every day. The other guys – I didn't have a good enough read on uh, their playing time situation, so I felt like they were all – it's kind of like the Rays. They're going to, you know, sit them at certain times, and I'm not about that. Josh Lindblom left his start on Tuesday with back cramps. Now, that doesn't – I don't know. It sounds kind of weird. I didn't know back – I mean, I've had a lot of back problems, but I don't know about back cramps. Yeah, I don't even I mean, know what the long-term effects of that would be. It, it, it's tough to say. Like, back cramps can be a precursor to something else. It's just a matter of, like – uh, again, how how does how does he respond to it? I don't know. Yeah, it's that, that that's that's a that's a tough one to figure out. It's just a weird feeling to even think about. Like I've had foot cramps and stuff before, but your back, like I, I don't know. even. I, it, I don't. It could, yeah, it could be a problem. It could be nothing. That's right. That's tough. I would say if you know, hopefully, you have more clarity before Fab on right. Sunday. See how his next bullpen goes. Um, I don't think he's good enough to hold on to though. If you need to move on, and there's a legitimate replacement for him. Right, in a 15, you're probably still holding them. But. Yeah, you hold them in a 15 for sure. I, I mean, it depends. Know. If he's going on the IL, I'm probably not personally. If it's an IL situation and it's a back, yeah, that right. would, be, that would yeah. be pretty nasty. Yeah, I agree with that. 
Uh, Bo Bichette's missed the last two games with hamstring quote-unquote tightness. We don't know if it's a strain, a tear, or what. Um, there's not a lot of clarity these days, even with the injuries that we're used to getting a little bit of clarity on after an MRI, because I don't even know how accessible all the MRI I have no idea. equipment is these days in the hospital. I, I, you would think the MLB would be able to access them a I'm little sure. bit better, but uh, who knows? Um, we did see an interesting thing kind of as a side effect of that was uh, Kevin Biggio started in the outfield today. Mm-hmm. That was a little strange to see. I'm enjoying um, the Teoscar leadoff hitter. Yeah, yeah, which is good for our Teoscar it's been, shares. It's been really nice for Teoscar And he's got owners. two steals he's running, so far, too. Yeah, he's hitting dongs. He's doing everything right now. But so speaking of steals, you know, this is bad news for Bichette because, uh, right. you know, Tony would know. Uh, you got a bad hammy. Yeah. <laughs> running is <laughs> running is not good because, uh, you know, if he can stay off the IL, good for him. But I don't see him testing that hamstring and running uh, a lot. And for a guy who derives – a lot of his value from his legs, yeah. that's not good news. Yeah, you drafted him in the third round of a 15-teamer. That's right. uh, that, that was a big reason it's you not took good. him there. Yeah. So, Tony, yeah, what's your uh, take on a hamstring injury? Yeah, I got cut down in my prime for my, my <laughs> I mean, Not yeah. once, but about 20 <laughs> times. Dude, hamstrings recur, man. You, you really don't shake a bad it, hand. It is a recur. Like Tony's hand, college just... ultimate Frisbee career was the continuous icing of the hamstring and, <laughs> and driving to tournaments and never seeing the field while his man, wife I, played. I, <laughs> you you got to try, but, man, it's it's tough when you're fighting through a hammy. Like I said, they, they don't go away. So yeah, Now, yeah. granted, a, tightness is not the same as, like, a, a full-blown tear, but – no, but tightness can... is like one of the worst precursor words. I hate seeing tightness because that's usually it's it's usually before right. something worse. And comes it's soft out. tissue. Yeah. I mean that that's soft, soft tissue injuries. It lingers, and in a short yeah. season again, it's it, it, with a short ramp up time, uh, with nine ten weeks left in the year for him to give give you value, and he's not going to be running as much. You would think that's that's a pretty big blow to his value. It opens up a little bit of extra playing time for other guys, um, but. I don't know. It, it might give a little bit of posi- positional flexibility to Biggio if uh, they're plugging him in the outfield too to use other yeah. guys at short and second. That could be interesting, but you're probably still using him at second base. Yeah. Oh, yeah, honest. that's true. Well, not always. Not always. Not always. But it's always good to have that extra, extra flexibility either way. Speaking of doing this really quickly, let's move on. Um, Eric Hosmer, interesting news about Eric Hosmer's uh, batting stance change. Dave, you saw some stuff from our friends on Twitter about yeah, that. Yeah, I saw Curland um, had tweeted out something about his – like he had a side-by-side 2020 versus 2019 of his uh, video of, of Hosmer's batting stance change. Tony, did you happen to see that? Yeah, so I actually had read that in the uh, offseason that he had made that change. He was trying to get more loft and change his, his launch angle. And- right. Um, he, he was actually our, our first baseman on the, the ill-fated uh, 4T team this year that got canceled. Oh, I think more situation. loft for Eric Hosmer would have been like two degrees, though. It's I kind mean, of they, the they, Diaz situation. They, they have been saying forever that if Hosmer can just get some, some loft on it, that's all he really needs. And right. it seems like he's trying it this year. So I am very, very interested by that. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, it, it's always hard to parse kind of whether – when you see mechanical changes or batting stance changes, you know, what we saw with Robbie Ray, you know, it doesn't always equal results. So um, I too saw that he was changing his stance, but you know, other than giving him a slight bump up the rankings, it's not like I was going to be like, okay, he's going to be a stud now, but 
Boy, is he hitting the ball well right now. Um, uh, granted, it's a small sample size, but his stat cast numbers are phenomenal. Yeah, it could be a, you know, a yonder Alonzo I would, situation. If you are in a shallow enough league where he's available, I would take a shot yeah, on Yeah, why Cosmer. not? First base is not the deepest position. No, so but, I mean, anytime shot. you can get a shot at a guy who, like Tony said, he has the skills to be an elite player if he's finally put that last piece of the puzzle together. Yeah, Maybe he's just been hammered. A little bit of that contract. Yeah, he's been hammering the, the ball into the ground for so long that if he can change that up, then yeah. that can only mean good things for him. Yep. We mentioned it before, but Miles Mikolas is, in fact, getting Tommy John. Uh, opens up a spot in the Cardinals rotation. There was there was a lot of questions about the Cardinals rotation and bullpen, it seems like, in the offseason slash summer or whatever. Uh, it seems like it's getting a little clearer, but uh, is there a natural replacement, Tony, for Miles Mikolas? What do you think? I mean, I, it sounds like they're going to try Ponce again. I'm not – I he's serviceable. That's Ponce but, de Leon. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not – I'm not super big on him. I think he's he's interesting, but do you guys have a, a stronger take on him? I'm not. I'm I don't. Not a, as of right now, it's something I have to look into more. But I do remember, and I want to say it's Corey Ott, uh, or man, I I don't remember someone though. I think when they first started to work for someplace, or was it Michael Argetto for Pitchless? I can't remember. But someone wrote like a, an in depth article on Ponce de Leon and they were like it's like someone who you didn't even think would ever be relevant and now I'm like man I gotta go find that article and see what it says but uh yeah I I didn't read it because quite frankly I didn't care about Ponce de Leon at the time um so I'll have to look into it he's kind of been around for a while you know he's someone who's uh, I have kind of a preconceived notion about anybody that throws that many fastballs as a as the yeah you do percentage of their repertoire it's absolutely I don't know I, I yeah I, I have prejudice against those guys that throw 60 plus percent fastballs so that's fair yeah I've never been a, a believer in the fountain of youth um that's Ponce de Leon yeah, the, the sorry, explorer bad. Jake likes to make references Jake. that nobody's gonna get I, I I'm I mean, a I, I want to be Jeff Erickson when I grow up, I guess. Okay. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the Cardinals, more on them. Giovanni Gallegos is activated from the COVID IL. Is he going to be the closer? Everyone's shaking their head. You, you, you hear that silence? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody I mean, knows. That, that, situ- <laughs> yep. that situation is such a mess. Like, I mean, talking- you know, what? it seemed like it was headed towards Ryan Helsley being the closer. You know, the guys on the ground in St. Louis were all talking about how he was the guy all along. And then it turns out that, that was bullshit. So, I mean, I, I have no idea. I don't even know if the Cardinals have any idea, to be quite honest with you. Because um, weren't you saying that they – well, you were talking about Kim maybe going back in the rotation. I think it's just going to be Kim, honestly. I think they're going to keep Kim in there. Um, until he blows up Until again. he blows up. Yeah, yeah until he says he, he can't do it. If he, if, he, if he blows up a couple more times, then they might want to make a change. But um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't stash him. If, if you're talking about a 15-team league, you know, where you've got a limited bench – I wouldn't bother with them. Even if people drafted him in the 13th, 14th round? Yeah, I would have dropped him for week Because, I mean, round. he was drafted there in pretty much Yeah, I personally don't – I mean, unless with. you're holding him just to get good ratios. But he's coming back. We don't know how good he's going to be. He has to ramp up. He has mm-hmm. to get – you know, I, I don't want any part of him when he first starts pitching because he's going to be rusty. So, it, I mean, it, he didn't even he, look that great in spring. If you don't have a belief that a guy has a solid line and a role, there's no point – like, it – at that point, it's just a sunk cost. Like, you just got to be done with it. Now, yeah. if you think that Kim is not going to be able to hold on to the role and you think that he's next man up, then sure, it's it's not word, it, it's not a, an issue waiting a, a week 
to see what, what happens there. But again, you're talking a 60 game season. There's not a lot of time to, to, to wait things out and, and see what develops. If, if something's not, not looking to go the way that you're expecting, then just move on. Yeah. I, I just think that there's better shots to take for if you're going to, if, if you need someone who's a prospective closer, I think there's better shots to take. Fair enough. Uh, Steven Strasburg kind of burned me in his first scheduled start by getting scratched. Yeah, his... Doesn't that just bust your balls? A guy who you're yeah. always out on and you decide to take a shot this year. <laughs> yeah. Cause we thought in the shortened season, the injuries wouldn't be and as this big is a guy who... And he was supposedly healthy before the season started. Yeah. So. It was a guy who we were all out on. We were all out on him in the full season. We were like, you know, he's coming off a career high injury, uh, career high innings, Stay, finally he stayed healthy for the first time in his career. Everyone's drafting him at his high watermark, and, you know, we were like, nope, we're way out on that. But then in a 60-game season, we're like, well, it seems like he's healthy. So, of course, nope. Yeah, so he's got nerve irritation in his hand. Um, supposedly he's feeling better today, according to Davey Martinez. He's gonna, he was supposed to throw again today. Um, but it's it's day-to-day. You know, I had to roll him in my – I have him in – two of my three mains as my ace. So I'm really thrilled about that. Um, I had to keep him in the lineup uh, because honestly, I didn't like some of the other matchups. So I was more comfortable throwing him and seeing what happened. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have any other opinion on whether or not you should start him? Or or I guess you're starting him already if you did, but in a, uh, are you guys going to throw him if you have a daily format? Are you going to throw him in his first start after this? No. I, I would bench him if I it's, can. Yeah. It, it's tough. It, it, it really depends on how – like, I, I get that they pulled him because that's a concerning injury, but if he's throwing, like, yeah, it seems like he'll – he has a chance of being all right, but when you're talking about a nerve issue, that that could be other stuff as well. So right. I'd, yeah. Well, the thing it, for it me, be, not only do you not know if he's even going to pitch, but then if he pitches, you don't know how, if he's going to be any good. So right. for me, it's a bench. And it assuming... could recur too, honestly. Right, and it could reoccur. Yeah, it's a bench for me, assuming you have any sort of viable option to replace him with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, and it just sucks. Yeah, it does. I, I wish I had better options, um, but unfortunately, I didn't. And he was the backup plan for Tony and I if Bieber didn't come back to us. So mm-hmm. I am very thankful that we got Bieber instead. Um, sure. couple, uh, well, batting order. Uh, piece of news you know speaking of batting order Mike Curlin we've talked about him a couple times he's killing it with his uh, lineup takeaways yeah so check those out Uh, Philo Mike underscore Curlin look at those lineup takeaways he's breaking down MLB lineups every day giving you tons of different little tidbits that very putting together super uh, useful and it's concise it's easy to search I think lineup takeaways is the hashtag so it's super easy to find Um, but Andrew Benintendi for the Red Sox was hitting ninth on Tuesday and Jose Peraza led off. We've we've uh, we were talking beforehand about how Benintendi was struggling. He was not a guy that we were into at all going into this no, year. We, but we've some Statcast a... uh, apologists were a little bit into him. So, um, <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's four games, five games. So right. Uh, but that's not yeah, a good sign like that he's one first, to the first bottom. fourteen with like seven strikeouts or something like that. I don't know, but you know, we we've been off of him for a while because he's due to his prospect ranking he's always been kind of overdrafted and his team and his team you're yep. right yeah i'm sure that has a lot to do with it too so um we've kind of been waiting for him to show us more and he looks like kind of like a platoon bat and uh 
yeah, he went from being the leadoff hitter to the ninth hitter. I mean, Peraza's hitting the ball well. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think could stick for a while. Do you guys have any Peraza? I, I wasn't want, able to. I wanted some. It just never, like, yeah, gelled with that, the really. team. He bounced up quite a bit when our mains came around. Yeah, if we'd he, have been drafting yeah. early on, we mm, probably yeah. would have gotten him. Yeah, I would have gotten him yep. earlier. He was probably up to the 15th, 16th round by the time we were drafting. Yeah, yeah I that, forget where he went in ours, but it was at a time where we were not able to take And we him. were taking – uh, you know, elite second baseman early on, so he wasn't as necessary for us. Yeah, and that was certainly part of it as well. Uh, Eloy Jimenez uh, performed normal activities on Tuesday, uh, <laughs> so I guess he did his his normal workout drills and what have you. But he still wasn't in the lineup in any of the two games of the doubleheader against the Indians. Do we see him coming back in the next couple days against? Uh, well, before you can switch lineups out again in the NFBC, so we can maybe make a decision on that. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would think he's going to be back just based on the reports that I've read. Like, it, it, it sounds like everything's fine and that he hasn't had any kind of concussion symptoms. Yeah, like they didn't maybe, put him in the protocol or anything. But this isn't the NFL, so they don't just stick guys in the protocol. Right. Sure, but I, to, to me, it's somewhere if you're, not, if you're not having any kind of lingering effects, I don't think there's any reason to keep you out of the lineup. Now, granted, by the time that people are here in the pod, he'll probably already be back in the lineup. But I would think for the weekend games, he'll be back, even if it mm-hmm. takes another day or two. That's what I'm figuring. And you have him in one of your mains. I do. One of my mains, yeah. And he boy, did my, he, look, he looked real good before. He started out nice. Um, and, you know, he, everything course, about his, it's Eli, Eli playing defense. It's it's, his, it always seems to screw him up. He's, yeah, it's his plate approach looks great. And I've always been a big Eli fan, and you were too. And it was one of those times where you didn't have a definite target. And you're like, I've been telling myself I'm going to get some Eli. So you took him. And I think he'll be okay. It sounds like a day-to-day thing from yeah. what I've read. But you never know. I hope so. Yeah. I, I do kind of need him. I know. <laughs> um, on that, yeah. Well, last little bit might make Dave grin a little bit. Sergio Romo got the save for the Twins <laughs> on Tuesday, as opposed to Taylor Rogers, who is another one of Dave's closers that he was not as high on as the market. That's Dave, Dave what say you? That, that <laughs> not <laughs> only was I not as high, I was, I was, I was uh, maybe using a little bit of euphemistic language there. Yeah, um, I I warned people to stay away from Taylor Rogers. I said there's no way they're going to use him as at least as the sole. And this closer. was after a day off, so there's no workload. Yeah, no, there. it's definitely just that. I mean, look, he is the only lefty in that pen. The only lefty. In an Why expanded would you bullpen. use your only lefty as your sole closer? It just made no sense. So mm-hmm. I was always avoiding Taylor Rogers. See, I think I had him ranked like, you know, down pat, like lower than Hader, I remember. So like 18, 19, something before. But that was before all these, you know, injuries and everything else happened. And God knows I have to re rank everybody now. But yeah, I, I hope you guys listened. I hope you didn't take him too high because this is kind of something that I feel like the warning signs were there all along with. Um, and uh, Sergio Romo is a guy who keeps finding his way to 20-plus saves every year. And, uh, you know, he was up there in my spec saves guy. He was, he was, he's always been in the top 10. He's mostly been around, like, my 5-6 slot. Um, I don't know that he'll – I don't think he'll be, like, the sole closer there. Um, but I think he'll probably get a lot of saves. I think he'll be probably maybe, I don't know, 60, 65, 70% of the saves, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, to, to that point, it's, it's something where just, just because a guy has really good stuff does not mean that he's the exclusive guy in that job. And so that's yeah. like when, when you're evaluating closers, that's always super important to consider because you can have a guy with great stuff. And if he gets saves half the time, like, yeah, he's going to help your ratios, but 
you're not drafting him solely for the ratios. You're drafting him because he gets you saves. And so, yeah, you had to draft him. I think he probably went around pick like 80. You know, I mean, you had to draft him really high. high. So and you're taking just, him over an ace, like over the fifth, uh, six you know, off the board. Yeah, and I just thought that that was completely unwarranted. Um, and it's kind of like there's just no always, need for it. You always want to pay attention to what the actual manager is saying when it comes to closers. Um, don't listen to beat writers. Don't listen to, you know, don't just look at how they were last year, you know, because if, if you did that, you're going to be drafting guys like him and Kennedy and Nick Anderson. You know, people are shocked that the Rays are doing this with oh, Nick Anderson. I'm like, guys, guys, come on. Like, I, I should have thrown that in the you, rundown. You've got to look at, yeah, Drake just got a second, second save. save. It's like, if you didn't see this coming, you know, don't be mad at me for pointing it out, okay? Like, the information is out there. Hell, I provide the information for you. All you have to do is read my rankings. But, I mean, if you want to do your own research, it's pretty clear that the Rays never use the same closers. Yeah, something we talked about before the last podcast. There are so many people drafting uh, closers that look way too much at the skills of the reliever yeah. as opposed to their role. You draft the role, not the skills when it comes to closers. There are so many elite relievers that don't end up closing. Yep. And people just see them and they say, well, that's – the guy that should close because they're the best reliever in the bullpen mm-hmm. and the managers rarely do it that way. Right. We've seen that mm-hmm. so much these last few years. And there's so much weight put on prior closing experience, yeah. whether there should be yep. or not for most managers, for, for most, most managers. Yes. And so guys like Romo and like, this is part of my thing. My concern with Liam Hendricks, especially if you start struggling, they got jo- Joaquin Soria there mm-hmm. who just got to save. Just got to save in, in yeah, the thing in, is when Hendricks wasn't available. Right, but. right, right. And I'm not saying he's taking over from Hendricks. I'm just saying it's, it's hard to have faith in a guy who has very little prior experience closing when someone with a lot more experience closing is behind, is waiting in the wings behind him. And that's like Romo compared to Rogers. Mm-hmm. And so, I just think, and that's what I put into my rankings. That's why I rank them low because I don't have that much faith that they're going to keep the job. That's how a lot of managers think. Right. It doesn't matter if you agree with them or not. Yep. You yeah. have to look at this that's unbiasedly. What and what does the manager think? Yeah, you're managing your fantasy team, but it doesn't matter what you want them to do with the player. Right. They have to do it. Reality yeah. is all that matters. They have to be comfortable with want. the guy. Yeah. The managers make the decisions, not you ultimately. So especially with closers. Yep. Yep. Okay. Wonderful. Uh, I think we covered a lot today. We went a whole hour and a half already. So I think that's probably a good place to stop. All right. Uh, we do want to thank as we close our friend on Twitter, Rob DiPietro yes. uh, at dead pull hitter on Twitter. He also has a pull hitter podcast, which check that out because he is doing a lot of uh, different things uh, than your typical fantasy baseball podcast. I know he did one with his wife where he talked about uh, a certain murder, murder situation in relation to baseball. And he also <laughs> had a podcast with his brother where they talked about a lot of their baseball experience. So it's a, it's a really fun and interesting. And well, I think, uh, I think one things. of these days you and I are scheduled to uh, be on there. He well, he was talking to us about having us on the podcast one of these days. So uh, good luck for him getting a word in edgewise. Um <laughs> Probably don't want to have both of us on at the same time. I don't know. No, uh, but uh, Rob's a great guy. <laughs> Rob's a really um, great guy. And uh, he, yeah. he gave us our first uh, monetary support of our podcast, and we are going to be eternally grateful for that. So we will, we will always remember that, Rob. Thank you very much. Again, everybody follow him at Deadpool Hitter. He's always tweeting about baseball, and he just started playing the NFBC main this year too. So yeah, yeah, he's doing his first Check main. out his experience. I hope on he does Twitter well. Feed. Yeah, we're rooting for him for sure. Um, 
check out rotosaurus.com with our brand new logo. Uh, Matt Krisiak, our friend, yes. uh, designed that for us. God, it's so Along good. with our podcast logo as well. Um, we have a link to his portfolio in our uh, show notes. Please check him out if you have any graphic design needs. He is an excellent, excellent graphic designer. By the designer. way, I just checked out the overall rankings, and Rob's currently in 86, so he's looking good Look for at that. right now. He's in the top 20% already. That's great. Good on you, Rob. Uh, so uh, check out rotosaurus.com. We did revamp some of the site with our new logo and a little bit of different layout. Uh, it's still in the in process of being completed. I am. It looks a lot better, though. I am an HTML amateur so still after all these years because i haven't had the time to put anything into it but it's it's in process uh dave's got his closer rankings on there depth charts uh speculative save list which is going to be extremely important yeah in the i need coming to get days. that updated for you guys yeah. oh, my bad it's been a, it's been a busy last we, week we've Sorry. been drafting a lot so yeah it's getting there um <clears throat> also something we've started this year we're giving you two start or i'm sorry we're giving you picture schedules uh in a chart format for uh at least two weeks um sometimes three weeks at a time. Uh, we are constantly updating that, Dave and I, and it is going to be, well, it already has been. We've gotten a lot of good feedback about people that were yeah, using it. Yeah, Rocco thanks planes. us like every other day. For um, if, if you just have a hard time visualizing this stuff, we're putting it all on the screen for you yeah. in a concise way. Uh, we're breaking it up by divisions, West, East, and Central, but it's very easy to digest. Uh, we also have some uh, different uh, ratings, color coding for for different matchups or, or or teams split. You know, looking at splits, looking at park factors, uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, we've, we've given it some color. I look at it you. myself, so I'm not just saying it. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, something I yeah. Use. We use it for sure. We make it so that we can use it, and we give yeah, it. Yeah, basically you guys. that's what it is. We make it for ourselves, and hopefully it's useful for you guys. And almost since the inception of Rotosaurus, we've been giving you two start pitchers, not just for the week ahead, but also the week after the week ahead, which is infinitely valuable in terms of saving money on fab or getting a jump on your league mates in waiver claims. Pick up that two when you pick up a, a two early. starter a week early to stream, it, it's going to save you 90% of the money you would have paid on them. Yeah. Otherwise, because uh, got most of your league mates are not looking that far ahead. So, and that's another thing that I am constantly updating for you guys. And I, if you know, situations change, obviously. So when you predict pitching that far out, it's not always going to be perfectly accurate, but most, most sites don't have the stones to put it out there. And we were the first. I can say that with all. Oh, yeah, we were definitely the first. With yeah. all sincerity, we were the first to do it. M- many have tried, and they've kind of let it go because it's too hard to keep up with. It is, but we're, it's difficult. We're and still doing it these years. It's a lot of guesswork, later. but it's educated it's guesswork. It's edu- educated guesswork, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, Tony, we want to thank you for being on. It's been a lot of fun. Hopefully, you got to say enough. Uh, yeah. No, I talk I, more I, than usual today. Usually it's just <laughs> Dave talking. This oh, get is... out of here. <laughs> well, I, I, I especially appreciate that. I don't need to hear any more of that. I hear <laughs> <Yeah. more. laughs> well, we will have you back right, again dicks. very soon. All right. All right. <laughs> it's been, it's a, been a lot bit. of fun. I hope you had fun. Tony, again, what's your Twitter handle? Where can they find you? Um, it is at Spectre14. Spelled for R-E at the end. S-P-E-C-T-R-E. 14. The correct way. The correct way. That's right. And Dave, you can be found where? Run D McD. Add that D. Add that D. And I am at the Dustmite. Thank you all for supporting the podcast. Please rate and review. We did pass a thousand downloads, which is wow. very humbling. 
was five episodes. Five episodes. That's kind of crazy for a for a, a brand new podcast. We're That's very awesome. we're very happy and very honored and blessed to Again, have received Jake that breaking distinction. News to me on the podcast. It was in the show notes. <laughs> well, I mean, have a great time. Crap, so. Have a great day, everybody. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you. Guys. I'm all off filter now. See ya. <laughs> <laughs>